0: Uh, hello. How are you? Good. What a beautiful weekend, is it not? Yeah. I'm really glad that uh, many of you are joining us. Uh, the other campuses are joining us as well, so welcome to you guys on this beautiful It feels like summer, finally, right? Summer weekend. It's awesome. So anyway, you're going to need your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time in the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter 4. And if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you know we are three weeks into a five-week series talking about the life of the church, uh, ecclesia, based on Jesus' promise in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And uh, it's, it's an important series, and it was triggered... Uh, by our decision to build a new building and triggered by the conversation that we needed to remind ourselves that it's more than just a building, that it's not just about a building, that the church is much larger, and to remind ourselves of the strategic whys. Why does the church exist? What did God leave us here for? And in this weekend in particular, it's an important message because we're launching uh, our capital campaign this weekend. And through the month of May, we are asking everybody who calls Northview your church family Uh, If you belong here, you worship here, you're being equipped here, you fellowship here, we're asking every one of you that you would prayerfully consider how God might want you to participate in this particular project. And that might be through giving a one-time gift or it might be through giving a three-year pledge. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. As we leave, we've got these beautiful little booklets that our comms team put together and a pledge card. We didn't give them to you on the way in because we knew that you'd spend the whole service reading booklets, not listening to me, and I'd be sadly offended. So we're going to give them to you on the way out, uh, but want each one of you to pick one of those up and take it with you. But before we go there, uh, we need to talk about why number three on our list. So we began this series by saying, uh, really, really important to understand what the church is and is not, because we use that English word in a lot of different ways. And that the church, biblically understanding, the ecclesia, the church that Jesus said he would build, is not an institution, it is not an organization, it is not a denomination, and it is certainly not a building, although we use the word church in English to refer to all of those things. And so that's why it gets a little bit confusing. But understanding that the nature of the church, the ecclesia, which literally means the called out ones, the church is the people, the people of God. And we talked about both Old Testament and New Testament, that God has called a people to himself. And then he sends those very same people back out into the world. And so the church, rightly understood, is people. It is not any of those other things. Uh, We started with Matthew 16, 18. Jesus promised that I would build my church. And so you have likely heard someone say in the past, and you will probably hear someone say again in your future, I don't like the church. You just need to remind them it was Jesus' idea. So they can take up that conversation with Jesus. You don't have to argue with them. Just say, you know what, go talk to Jesus, because he said he was going to build his church. So week one, we talked about the church existing for the glory of God. The ultimate reason why God called people to himself is that he would put his people on display to a watching world and that ultimately our lives would trigger in someone else a question mark about what are those people on about and that it would ultimately roll up into praise of God, that we would make much of Jesus, that we would make much of God in our life, and that ultimately God would be glorified through the church. Week two, last weekend, we talked about the good of the city, that God has left his people here Uh, intentionally, as his hands, his feet, his voice, that as we go out into the 24-7s of our life, the majority of our life that we aren't spending in these gatherings, either in a large group gathering or a small group gathering, but literally the the 90% of our life that we live out in the marketplace, the schools, the neighborhoods, that out there the Lord wants us to invest for the good of the city to make this world, this community, a better place because of his presence in our lives. And today we're talking about the internal focus of the church, because you can't read through the New Testament and miss the fact that the church actually exists for the church. The church exists for the church. We exist for one another. Now, remember, the church is not an institution. We, the people, are the church. So we exist one for another. Now, somebody right now, and you're not saying it out loud, but I know you're thinking this. (laughs) Ha! I knew it! I knew that this was where you were going, and that by week three, finally, you're being honest. This is what you're on about. I knew it all along. You Christians are so self focused, and the church is all about its own agenda, its own inward look. I knew that this is where you were going, preacher. You can't fool me. But before you shut me off entirely, I want to really challenge you make sure you listen to all five weekends. All five weekends. There is indeed, as we're going to talk about today, an internal focus that every church has to have. If a church, a local church, is going to be healthy, if a local church is going to serve the city and impact the nations and have an influence on the family and ultimately glorify God, then there has to be a purposeful attention given to the health of the local church. Attention given to sound teaching and doctrine and theology. Attention giving to pouring out our lives, caring and serving and loving for one another's good. Did you know that there are 59 one another's in the New Testament? Like that's one per day, right? Two per day, whatever, figure it out. All these one another's that we do in the context of the church, loving on one another, serving one another, caring for one another, rejoicing with one another, mourning with one another. These are all the things that we do inside the family, the body, the building of the church. And our internal focus, we know, must never be an end unto itself. But without the internal focus, we've got nothing to give. So that's what we're going to talk about. And uh, all the way through the Bible, both Old and New Testament, I'll just throw up a couple of my favorite verses. Proverbs 27, 17. Love this passage. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. One Christian sharpens another Christian. A brother sharpens a brother. A sister sharpens a, a, a sister. If you have sharpened an axe on the grindstone, you know that there can be sparks. There can be resistance to that sharpening, and yet it is the ministry that God has called us to. Uh, Hebrews 10 says, let's consider how we could stir one another up to love and good works. Uh, some of your translations in reading that verse, well, how we can spur one another on to love and good. I like that image of spur, because it's like on the back of the boot, and everybody needs a kick once in a while, Right? How can we stir one another up? How can we come as brothers and sisters alongside one another and encourage one another in our walk with the Lord? That then, in other words, there is a role that we have to play in each other's lives that is irreplaceable. And so what I want to convince you of today is simply this thought, that if you have been called by God, so if you would say yes to that question, if you have been called by God, then you have also been gifted to serve. The two always go together. You read your scriptures, the New Testament, you cannot get away from the one. God calls you and he gifts you. So years ago, I'm sure you've seen these images, the Blood Service Canada came up with this new tagline for their their, their blood donor recruitment, it's in you to give. Everybody seen that? Very familiar. I actually think it's a really great motto for the church as well. That it is in you, the gifts that God has given to us, they are in you To serve, they're in you to give, they're in you to share. God has placed by His Spirit some stuff in you. And every church needs to have an upward, an inward, an outward, a backward, and a forward look. And you're like, what are you talking about? Well, the upward is obvious. The focus on the worship and the glory of God, that when we gather together, we make much of Jesus. We lift up the name of the Lord. We're holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. Just exalting the glory, the fame, the honor, the worth of God the Father. That there is an upward focus and it's why we gather. And and when we get into the presence of the Lord, we're transformed. If you lift up Jesus, he said, I'll draw all people to myself. Just get his name up and people are drawn in. But there is also this outward focus. And we talked about that last weekend. There is a needy world around us and we have to ask the question as followers of Christ, how can we make the world a better place? I think also we need a backward focus, however, looking through 2000 years of church history to learn the lessons from history, both the good and the bad of church history. And then even as a local church, our own 43 years of history, looking back on the, the shoulders of the people that founded this church and we're building on their heritage and we're building forward then, a look forward to the coming generations. And how do we prepare and equip for the times that we live in? And what's coming down the pipe culturally? What do we see on the horizon? What do we see prophetically in Scripture? And what do we see culturally? And to be aware, so always looking forward. But in the midst of all of this, there is an inward focus that is necessary if we're going to do our work. Helping one another grow to maturity so that we can accomplish all those others. And so there are four primary texts. When you talk about the gifts given to us by the Spirit of God, there are four major passages, 12, 12, 4, and 4. You can remember 12, 12, 4, and 4, and you can remember them. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. 12, 12, 4, 4. Remember that, and you can remember those four major texts on the gifts of the Spirit. Now, obviously, we do not have time to dig into all of those texts, and so I chose one, and we're going to be in Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4 digs in deeply and anchors us. And so I'm going to start with the first uh, six verses, and then we'll get going. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So just press pause there. Remember, I said, if you've been called. So walk worthy of the manner to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love... Eager to maintain the unity of Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, just, we'll pause there. Several things that we could take note of. Number one is our unity in Christ. That is an echo back to week one, if you were here and you heard that message. Uh, It's interesting when you look at it in its tenses in the original language, because in the English language, you get these words, you, 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 sprinkled through this text. Some of them are plural, some of them are singular. So in the original language, so we've talked about this before, the Texans say y'all, that's just for you individually, and then they say all y'all, when it's all of us. So y'all and all y'all, well, some of these are all y'alls. So it opens up with all y'alls, plural, you should walk, all of you, in a manner worthy of your calling. There is one body, verse 4 says, and then it switches, to which all y'all were called, and then there's this individual gift, and we talked about this in week one, the four markers of the ancient church, they said this is what the true church is on about, one holy, apostolic, Catholic church. Now, remind you that I don't freak out with the Catholic word because you think Roman Catholic, that's not what the word means. It's the universal church, the one universe. If you don't understand that, go back and listen to week one. Why weren't you here that week? Why are you confused? <laughs> but here Paul reminds us of the oneness that we share in Christ. So, what it means to us practically, without re preaching week number one, is that basically wherever you go in the world, no matter what country you land in, what culture, what language they speak, what class of people that you are fellowshipping among, if you find another brother or sister in Christ, you find another following Jesus, immediately you have unity with them. Immediately you know we are one in the same family. We belong to Jesus, and therefore, we belong to one another. We are one in Christ. But as you read further, we find that within that unity, there is also great diversity. There is diversity in the gifts. And so he goes on then to say in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to us. So he starts the paragraph by saying, I urge you all, all y'all. Maintain the unity of the Spirit, but then take note, to each one, charis is the word grace, and you might have already heard it in there, charis, we get our English word charismatic from that Greek word charis, grace, so we are all charismatic Christians because we are gifted by the Spirit, we are given gifts of God's grace to serve, each one singular is gifted by the Spirit of God. So Romans 12 says the same thing. For as in one body, we have many members. And the members don't all have the same function. Literally speaking of the physical body. So though we are many, we are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And then here it is, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, the diversity within the gifts. Uh, Corinthians 12 says the same thing. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. And then here it is again. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each one is given something for the greater good of the whole. And we could spend a ton of time here, but the main point is simply this. If you have been called by Jesus by his grace, then you have also been gifted by Jesus through his grace. You got to get that through your mind. Every single man, woman, boy, and girl listening to this message, if you have been called to Jesus and you say yes and amen, I have responded to his call in my life, then you need to know categorically you have also been gifted by his grace under the glory of God. In, In modern language, we would say this, you're wired for service. God hardwired it into you. You're wired for it. And the New Testament gives us several lists of spiritual gifts. And people like to debate this thing. How many spiritual gifts are there? Some say there's nine gifts. Some say there's 19. Some say there's as much as 23. You know what? I don't think any of the listings are exhaustive. I think all the spiritual gift lists are simply illustrative. They're illustrative of the variety of ways the Spirit of God works in our life. And there are as many and diverse as we are many and diverse. And I like John Stott's comment. He says this in his commentary. Christian unity is enriched by the diversity of our gifts. Thank God that we are not all the same, amen? Although there's only one body, one faith, and one family, this unity is not to be misconstrued as a lifeless or colorless uniformity. We are not to imagine that every Christian is an exact replica of every other, as if we'd all been mass-produced in some celestial factory. Like, we're not just widgets, Boom! 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 Exactly the same. No great diversity in the family of God. I like the acrostics. Years ago, Rick Warren he came up with this acrostic to help people understand how you are shaped for ministry. It's it's really good. The word shape is right in it. Think about your spiritual gifts. What is it that God has placed in you? And, and often you say, well, what are my gifts? Well, often the way you know what your gifts are, what are you drawn to? What are you interested in? Spiritually speaking, what do people affirm you for your encouragement, your gifts, your helps, or whatever it is? What do people say about you? What is your heart? I love little children. I love the elderly. I have a concern for global missions. I have a deep care for teenagers. I have a heart for whatever it might be, the poor and the downtrodden. What is the heart that God, and every person listening, again, has a unique focus in their heart. What are your abilities? In other words, what has God put in your hands? Your natural talents and abilities that God has hardwired into you. What is your personality? Many of you are extroverts. And quite honestly, the majority, they say 70% of population are introverts. And everything in between And I would say that God will never violate your hardwired personality to ask you to do something that contradicts the personality type that he has given to you. So what personality are you, and then your life experiences. And this is massive, the good, the bad, the ugly. Every experience you have in your life has helped shape you under the glory of God. And, and I think in particular, we need to look back on our painful experiences because it is often in those painful experiences where we have come through to victory, where we have come through to either forgiveness or, or dealing with the, you know, just the hard stuff in our life and then finally gaining victory over that God takes and turns those around and he uses them. I love that acrostic. You have been shaped for ministry. And so when you take a sober look at your life, and you reflect on who God has crafted you to be, uh, you realize that each one of us is uniquely shaped. Uh, And in large categories, uh, the spiritual gifts can be divided into speaking gifts, and serving gifts, and sign gifts, all these big categories. Uh, The list could go on and on. Administration, helps, hospitality, mercy, leadership, giving, supernatural gifts of healing and a word of knowledge or the gift of languages. Now, in Ephesians 4, our text, Paul goes on to talk about another type of gift that God gives to us, and it is the gift of people. In Ephesians 4, he says this, chapter 4, verse 11, and he gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. We'll just stop right there. He gave us these people. He gave us these leaders, and we have all benefited from people in our lives. We have all had these kind of characters in our life along the journey to catapult us into greater things for the kingdom of God. Why were they given? Well, great, thanks for asking. We'll keep reading. He goes on to say this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's why these people were given to us, to equip us. For building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Now, look at this last phrase. Very, very important. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so as we're reading it, you saw the different color highlighted words. And I want to just make a comment about each one of those. The first thing, these gifts of people, these leaders were given to us, number one, to equip us. And that word is variously translated as to finish and to outfit and to train or to arrange or restore. Uh, When Jesus calls James and John, the fishermen, they're out in their boat and it says, Jesus finds them mending their nets. That same word, mending, fixing the nets, restoring them. It's that same word that these leaders were given to us to equip us, to set us up for ministry. Secondly, to build us up. Uh, So we have this big word in the church, we talk about edification. Uh, was the service edifying? Was the fellowship edifying? Well, what does that mean? Uh, edifice simply means to build or a building, and edification is then to be built up, and, and that is what the, these gifts are given, to enhance the work of the church, to enhance the people of God. And so the question is, as brothers and sisters, as we try to encourage one another, as we try to build one another up, how are we doing at building up the church? And you know what? It seems to me that more than any other time in my lifetime, that there seem to be people who enjoy tearing down the church, who enjoy pointing out all the things that are wrong with the church and everything that they wish that we would change and do differently and on and on it goes. And instead, I think the Spirit of God is saying, can you build her up? Can you find what is good and beautiful and lovely? Yes and amen. I mean, I've been in ministry a long time. You want to tell horror stories about the church? I can tell more than any of you. There are warts and wrinkles. Remember the first week I said, if you find a perfect church, don't join it? Remember? If you join it, you'll ruin it. There is no such thing as a perfect church because we are sinful fallen people and we hurt one another. And so we got to deal with that. But the church is also beautiful. It's the bride of Christ. We should build her up. Unto what end? Unto what end? Well, unto mature manhood. Now, don't get hung up on the male language because it's not a masculine and feminine contrast here. It's simply a maturity statement that you grow into adulthood, into manhood, a, a, a statement. The context makes it very clear that you're no longer children. Spiritually speaking, you have grown up in your walk of faith. And so I'll quote from Hebrews 5. About this, we have much to say. It's hard to explain, Since you become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's why our mission statement says we exist to help you become deeply rooted. Deeply rooted followers of Jesus. You get your roots down into the word. It's why we've challenged you this year. If you've never read through the Bible, ever, take this year, join us, read through the Bible from cover to cover in a one-year period and see what the Spirit of God, that one simple practice, of saying, I'm gonna daily try to get into God's word and get it down into my life. And one of the key markers, you all know this from life, and especially if you've been parents, one of the key markers that a person is ready to move out of their home and live on their own is they start taking responsibility. I I love the humor in this sign, right? (laughs) It's awesome, right? Teenagers, tired of being harassed by your parents? They all are, of course. Act now, move out, get a job, pay your own way. you still know everything. (laughs) Now, the sad factor is there's too many Christians that live like freeloading teenagers. They're living in the basement. They don't contribute anything. They don't do any chores. But they've got lots of opinions. Now, I hope and pray, I really do honestly hope and pray that Northview never, ever, 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 ever runs out of baby Christians. That there is always a new crop of new converts and baby Christians coming through the doors. But you know what babies do, right? Comes out both ends. (laughs) Babies are messy. And I hope we never, ever run out of babies. But I also hope that those same baby Christians will not stay babies. That they will get their roots down deep and that they will grow to, maturity, to full manhood, as the text says. And then finally, we see what happens as the church matures. It builds itself up in love. Now that is a really interesting phrase at the end of this passage, that there is something that happens. There is this internal self-propagating maturity that begins to take root in a healthy church. There is this regenerative, cyclical symbiotic relationship that literally the body begins to care for itself, build itself up as one to another, we exercise our gifts. As one person leans into their unique gift and calling and begins to offer themselves for the common good, we're all built up. Like we said before, iron sharpens iron. Each one spurs the other one on to love and good deeds. So in other words, to summarize it, the church exists for the church. Now, yes and amen, all the others. We exist for the glory of God. We exist for the good of the city, for the nation, for the family. But we exist for the good of the people of God. We cannot avoid that calling. That we, we corporately together have a call, an outward call and an upward call, but we need this inward call. And and friends, I, I firmly believe this, that only in Western Nations, Western Europe, North America, Australia, the the Western cultures of the world, I think we are the only ones who have the luxury right now in the day that we live in of being apathetic toward the church. I think only in the West can you go, meh, whatever. The weather's great, so we can, you know, shame the people aren't here this weekend because it's a gorgeous weekend. Where are they? Meh, doesn't matter. I I think I've shared with you before, six, eight years ago, Carolyn and I had the opportunity to be in an access-restricted country with six or eight church-finding couples from North America. And we were over with a mission agency, and there were about 30 North Americans, all total in on this trip, touring in this region where you cannot get in openly. And we met in this hotel conference room with about a dozen national workers who came out and leaders from little house churches. So the way the trip went is you, of course, traveled like 24 hours through the night and all this kind of stuff. and we landed, we got set up and that's now evening in this new land and we are just exhausted and tired and they're like, hey, we're gonna start with a worship service. And I'm thinking in my Western mind, oh my goodness, what? You're kidding me. I wanna go to bed. The last thing I wanna do is worship. So I reluctantly, you know, drag my butt into the conference room and then the 30 of us with these 12 national leaders begin to sing. Guitars played, worship songs, and very quickly, they were all men, these men to start to weep. And our national host stops us and says, you need to know what's going on here, brothers and sisters. These men have never, ever been in a worship service this large. These men have never had the freedom in this conference hotel room to sing with all their heart. Some of them are in villages where they literally cannot sing out loud for fear of being heard by the authorities. I will tell you, my meh, I don't want to come to worship, was stabbed through the heart. I thought what a soft Westerner I am. The church exists for the good of the church, and I hope and pray that the Spirit of God will awaken us to what we have. We don't know how long we'll have it. We hope and anticipate that we will always have freedom in this nation that we live in, but we don't know what's coming down the pipeline in our lifetime. And so as we talk about the equipping work of the church, the fact that the church exists to build itself up in love and how followers of Jesus serve and care for one another, then then we recognize, of course, we need a place to meet. The buildings we meet in actually could be called equipping centers. In fact, that might help us understand better what we're doing when we arrive at a location where the church gathers. If instead of calling it a, a sanctuary or a children's wing or an office or whatever, if we just simply said, this is the equipping center. This is where the church gathers to, to be built up and then to be sent out. And so we're inviting you, Lord, how would you want me to be involved in building a new equipping center? And so, as I said at the start of the message, at the, through the month of May, These next 30 days, we are asking each person who calls Northview your home church. So if you happen to be visiting, uh, you're just in here for an off weekend, welcome into a family talk. But if this is your home church, if you're like, yeah, Northview's my church, then I'm asking you to pray and consider what part God might want to have you contribute. And so I started this series by saying it, and I will repeat it, I love the church. Big church, little church, country church, city church, Ugly church, well, that's not right, but anyway, I love the church. And so I have no hesitation, I don't have any hesitation at all to ask you that if you call this your home church and if you benefit from the equipping ministry to invite you, number one, to use your gifts in service. Like every week, there are hundreds and hundreds of volunteer roles that are necessary to do the life and ministry of the church. But I also get a privilege to ask you to help us build this new building so that we can help more people become deeply rooted followers of Jesus. And ultimately, the ultimate goal is so that more people all across the Fraser Valley, we hear the gospel of Jesus and the partnerships we support around the world, they would respond to his call and that he is glorified through the transformation of individual lives. Amen? That is our ultimate goal. So I'm the one who gets the honor. I get to ask you. I get to ask you, would you go home and would you pray about this Thing that we're putting in front of you today. Because we think it's the right time for us to build. And now, I'm just gonna put some numbers up there. You've seen these things before. Uh, the big picture, there's more details in the booklet we'll give you. The total cost of this project is about $30 million. The good thing is we've got half of it already in hand. 15 million has already been raised. We would want to have another 5 million pledged before we dig a hole, before we start construction. We wanna have enough money to get it up to lockup stage. If the bottom dropped out of everything and we only had what we had, then we can get it up, the roof on, locked up, doors and windows in, $20 million. And then over the next two years, as it takes to build it, two and a half years, we're hoping and praying that that other $10 million will come in. And so what we hope to accomplish in the month of May is simply this. We want to hear from every one of you in the month of May what part you might want to play. And it, it might be a one-time gift. You've been saving up for this. It might be, for most of us, a, a three-year pledge, a, a monthly commitment over these next three years. And I need to tell you this, that our goal is to build this thing debt-free. Our goal is when we move in day one, that we can move in if at all possible and say it was paid for before we move in. And why? Well, two reasons. Number one, have you noticed interest rates are going up? Anybody notice that? Yeah. So we'd rather not borrow money if we don't have to. But secondly, even if we do have to borrow some money, it has to come out of our operating budget to pay for it. And we don't want to cannibalize our regular ministries and programs. Particularly, the only areas we really have flex is in leadership development and in our church planning partnerships. So we do not wanna be pulling back from the partnership support that we send out to others. We don't wanna cannibalize our operating budget by paying down debt. And so as you leave the services today, we're asking all of you, you're gonna get a little booklet like this. Inside of it, there's a little pledge card like this. You can see it on the screen. And I'm asking you, would you take it home? Would you pray about it? In the next 30 days, would you go online and make a commitment? And the first weekend in June, we're gonna have a big party. We're gonna do a celebration. We're gonna tell you what came in. So, before we close, I gotta say a couple things about the spirit of this campaign. And number one, what I wanna assure you of this needs to be said that there will be no high pressure sales pitch. There won't be any begging or pleading or cajoling at all in any way, shape, or form. I firmly am committed to this because this campaign is going to be a soft sell because I fully believe that God provides what we need through his people. And that every penny that will be needed is going to come in through his people without twisting of arms. And I reflect back on a beautiful example in the Old Testament, Exodus 35 and 36. The children of Israel had been slaves for 400 years in Egypt. They have come out. They're wandering for 40 years in the wilderness and they built a worship center. You remember that? It was portable. It was a tent. It's called the tabernacle. They tore it up and tore it down and packed it up and moved. And God gave a detailed instruction for every single thing right down to the gold rings the curtains hung from and the utensils for worship. And then Moses went to the people. And he talked to them about the project. And he did exactly what we're doing this weekend. So it says here in 35, verse 5, take... From among you a contribution to the Lord, whomever is of a generous heart, let him bring, it, bring, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Then interesting, he sends them away. Uh, exactly what we're gonna do this weekend. We're gonna send you away. Think about it, pray about it. And then the response comes. All the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him Everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting. A few verses later, everyone who could make a contribution. Notice that? Everyone who could make a contribution, brought it as the Lord's contribution. And then all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them. Are you getting a common theme in this passage? To bring anything for the work the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering. No pressure, no controlling, no sales pitch. What is amazing is you read this story, the money's getting passed on to the builders, and I don't know, it's a month later, a few weeks later, or a year later, I don't know. The builders come to Moses and here's what they say. The people bring much more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Has this ever happened in modern history? Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution to the sanctuary so the people were restrained. Stop bringing your offerings. For the material that they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. I love that story. Because there was no cajoling, it was only the Spirit of God. And so we are asking you as we head into this project, and it is my prayer that God would stir you And I'm simply asking you to do one thing that you would just seriously pray about it and let the Lord tell you. Number two, I wanna emphasize this, that it is more important that we do this together as a family than about the size of the gift. And some of you might say to me, you know what, I would love to give, but the, 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 the bit I'm gonna give is so tiny, $15 million, like honestly, my little drop in the bucket, it wouldn't make a difference whatsoever. So I, I don't think really I should give it all, and I wanna say just the opposite to you. I wanna challenge you and I wanna encourage you that every tiny gift matters because your heart goes with it, you pray with it, and I wanna give you an illustration. So I'm gonna to talk to the students. So you're elementary school, you're high school, maybe you're up into young adults, you're still living at home, you're students. You don't, you're, you're like, I don't have much cash. As a student, could you say, I'll give up a Frappuccino? I'll give up one video game. Could you as a student say, I can come up with five bucks a week. I'll just cut something out. You're like, over the course of a year, that's $250. Over three years, that's $750. What is $750 to $15 million? But if 200 students did that, do you realize that's $150,000? Can you imagine our students raising $150,000? Some of you will say, you know what? If I could carve $100 out of my budget, that's probably all I could do on a monthly basis. If 100 families carved out $100, that's $10,000 a month times 36 months, that's $360,000. It's a lot, right? So to emphasize that, everybody has a part to play. And yes, of course, we need some big gifts. And those of you whom God has blessed financially, if he has given you the ability to make some wealth, you already know this. And I'll simply remind you, he's given you that wealth, and you are to steward it unto his glory. And so, of course. We need some people who can make the larger commitments, but our hope and prayer is that everyone will be involved. We're called in Scripture to give as God has prospered us. So that's my ask that every person who calls Northview their home would pray into it, would ask the Lord, what part do you want me to play? And I'm hoping when we get to the end of May, come June 1st, we can tell the architects and the builders, get rolling. Because we got two and a half, three years, by the time all the permits and everything are in, we start construction, build the thing, and guess what we get to do in the next two and a half years? We get to pray about how God's gonna fill it with hungry people, amen? How is God gonna fill it with spiritually hungering, seeking people? We get to begin to plan about all the community groups that we're gonna need all across the city to welcome these new people in. We're gonna keep praying our five by five by five prayer cards for people we know and love who are right now far from God and we're praying them into the kingdom of God. We're gonna host alphas, we're gonna have Bible studies, we're gonna do theology, life, and culture classes. We're going to do all these things, more services to make room for our neighbors, and then, of course, last weekend, we are going to continue out in the 24-7s, in the marketplace, the schools, the neighborhoods, living as salt and light under the glory of God, and hoping and praying that God brings an abundant harvest. So the church is not an organization, an institution, a denomination, or a building. The church is us, the people, the ecclesia, called out ones, and the church exists for the glory of God, for the good of the city, for the good of God's people, for the nations, and for the family. Five weeks. We do all of it in imitation of Jesus. Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. And so just like Jesus loved us and laid his life down, we are called to lay our lives down for one another, for the good of the church. And I hope and pray that's a mission and a vision big enough that you can get your heart behind it. So let's stand at all our campuses. I want to pray with you. The worship teams will come and lead us. So Lord, uh, as we start this campaign, we want to commit it to you in all honesty. And Lord, I pray for the men and the women the boys and girls who call Northview their home church, who are excited about, first and foremost, what you have done in their lives, how you have brought them to yourself, you've called them. Each one of us has a unique story of our journey of life with all the joys in our life and all the sorrows in our life. And uniquely, by your spirit, you have done a beautiful thing in our life. Lord, we also know that you have given us gifts that are to be poured back out for the good of the family. And so, Lord, I pray that even in these two years that you would just continue to fan into flame the culture of service and volunteerism among us. That we would go, what has God put in my hands and how can I use it to build up the body, the church? But then, Lord, as we take these things home and as people pray, um, I pray simply, Lord, by your spirit that you would give them a freedom A freedom to just, in all honesty, look at the project, look at their finances, and in prayer ask you, Lord, what part would you have me to play? And that then with joy, that they can make a commitment, and Lord, I look forward to seeing what you're going to do in and through us by your Spirit. So commit this to you, Lord, uh, but the theme of the message is we exist for the good of the church, and so Lord, may we love on one another. May we do all of those loving and serving and caring and mourning and grieving and rejoicing and all the stuff that we do one for another. May this just simply be one small part of it. And we give it to you for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.